Hey guys, just before we head into the episode, I do want to give a bit of a warning that Bram and I do talk about some pretty traumatic events throughout the course of the novel. The novel itself is centered on the events of the Holocaust, so there's lots in there to do with deprivation and a lot of human anguish on a grand scale, but also on a on a minute personable level and happens to the characters. And then there's also other traumas done to people as well. And Bram and I do talk about that. So please be warned before heading into the episode. Welcome to the Books, Beers and Burgers podcast. I'm Ben Hobson. And each month my plan is to interview your favorite authors about their favorite books. And we might have a beer and burger along the way. We're a part of the Words and Nerds Literary Podcast Network, so big thanks to Danny V for all she does behind the scenes. My first guest is Bram Presser. Bram is an amazingly considered man, and I loved our chat. It was actually the first time we've had a real-life conversation. We normally just tweet at each other and congratulate each other when we have good news on Twitter, so it was really nice to speak to Bram. He's done a lot of noteworthy things in his life, including being the front man for the punk band Yidcore, and he's also written The Book of Dirt, which has won many awards and is incredibly thoughtful and morally interesting, and hopefully you'll find our chat those things as well. Please enjoy my chat with Bram. Here we go. Hello, Bram. <laughs> How are you, Ben? Yeah, good. How are you? How are you? Uh, I saw that you've been that you've uh, gone with the theme of the podcast, and you've had a burger and a beer. I have. I have well, you know, like we're, I, I'm I'm two thirds through a burger because I would feel that I was like somehow, uh, you know, doing a disservice to it to the podcast if I if I finished it beforehand. It's like you know, but, but I do have I do have a beer. I do have a beer, and and yeah, I look. You know, you set the rules. I'm I'm, I'm just the, I'm just the the. The schmo who follows him. Oh, hey, I'm so happy because <laughs> I, I, to admit my error, I've, because this was a later one and Bram's been so good because it's nine o'clock, he's having a burger. I went, I absent burger, I'm having a beer, I'm having a James Squire hop thief. I think oh. your beer's a bit better off suited to that discussion, well. I think. I, well, it's, it's funny though, because it's, I only drink two beers, right? Okay. One of them, are, which are Pilsner's. Um, which is like just a Czech thing because I like it's, I sort of grew up on them and, and like, you know, my grandfather used to give me them when I was four and, um, and then the like, uh, and then the really like, just, I feel bad saying the kind of, you know, cheap ass every man's beer, but uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. where is it? Oh, wait up. I've lost it. How have I done that? Uh, maybe I already drank it. Um, like a furphy or something like that. <laughs> Dude, you know, or a v- I know, I like burpees. I love it. It is such a it's such a good drinking beer. Like yeah. it's funny because I'm not such a big drinker generally, but it's like one of those. It's a relaxing beer to drink. Whereas like this one, this what's it called? Praga. Because I, I usually just go the classic Pilsner Urquell, right? Uh, Urquell, whatever. I I, I make I sound like what's his name from um what's the, what's a um, Steve Urkel, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and. Uh, I usually just go for that because it's the classic, but they didn't have it today. And then they had this really fancy looking one called Praga. Like a, you know, it looks like, pretty. it look, does look really nice. It looks- I thought it was a faker though. Yeah, it is. It's actually, it's, it's brewed in Czech Republic and I assume it's from Pilsen, which is the area that Pilsen comes from. Um, and so, yeah, I've actually, it's 
really good actually. So oh, you're good. Very, very happy with the choice. I didn't really have a choice of making. So <laughs> hey, it worked out. Story um, of my life. Story of my life. So we are here to chat about uh, a novel that you selected. Now, uh, I'd like to <laughs> talk about the way the selection that you, process. Yeah, the selection process. <laughs> <laughs> Bram's been awesome because he's the guinea pig for this. And so I said, well, what's a book you'd like to talk about? And there was really no strings attached. Just any book that you like. And I think your list was about six long. Yeah, and and kept growing. So I had, they were like, growing, yeah. Initially I had like, I had three like obvious ones straight away. I'm like, I'm going to choose between um, Schopenhauer's Telescope was I think one of them by James Donovan, um, Binu and the Great Wall by Sue Tong, which I you know also love, and then um, Brodeck by or Brodex Report, depending on which translation you have, um, by Philippe Claudel. And then I was like, every like half an hour, I'd send you a new message on Twitter going, well, what about this? And, and you're like, at one point, you just said, look, I've ordered, I've ordered this book. So like this conversation's over. Um, <laughs> live with your choice. Just, you know, be okay with it. it and I have to say, though, I'm still glad. I, having It's one of those books that I haven't read since about 2000 and nine when it was published in English. And wow. um, so you're right at the forefront. Yeah. You read it right away. Yeah. It was just about I actually, 2009 when it came out in English, right? Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who search out kind of um, slightly obscure, slightly wanky um, European <laughs> novels in translation. Sure. Uh, and this one, I don't know. I don't even know why it sort of spoke to me on a shelf, um, but I picked it out and, it kind of, it, it really blew my mind at the time. And, and you know, it's one of those things, is it a time and place thing? You always wonder about this when you revisit a book after a long time. Is it, you know, time and place thing or is it um, going to actually stand up to the reread? And I would say 75% of the time you look at it and you go, yeah, it's really good, but it doesn't quite stand up to your memory yeah, of your, it. Your memory of when you first read it, that special discovery thing, right? Like exactly. is it actually as good as in my memory, like with rose tinted glasses? But this was the first time I'd read it and it was, it blew my mind a little bit, this book. Like, I'm so happy that you chose this book. Oh, awesome. I got to read it. Yeah, it sort of blew my mind a second time, which is also, oh, the other the other one, which is, I'm also reading, see this thing, all the ones I told you that I would like to consider, I just started rereading. So I'm now just rereading them all anyway. So this, this, this got to the front of the line. The other one's Instance of the Finger Posts, you know, by Ian Pears, which is, I think, the best mystery novel I've ever read. But um, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah. I should probably like point out the one we chose was Brodex Report by by Philippe Claudel. Yes. Um, so yeah, like and rereading it, even though I know the kind of huge twists in it, um, it really still it's just such a an incredible book. This is like it's funny. There's a thing on the back where it says you know this this is like literature of the highest level or something like that. One of the puffs, mm. and it's like usually when you read that you think oh this is going to be just a total like. I know wankfest sort of thing, yeah. and which is probably which is an inappropriate thing to say in the current um, climate. <laughs> no, <laughs> probably I, be editing that out, but I um, though, dude, I get you. Um, but like, it, I, I just thought it'd be like this, you know, highfalutin, inaccessible. Yeah. But it's just a really like readable, intense. Um, you know, it's kind of a bit funny at times. It's a bit just like it's odd, um, and it just draws you in. And it's the, the amazing thing about it is it's kind of like a it reads a bit like a crime novel really yeah like it's got you know it's a mist it's sort of a mystery it's i mean it's a why done it rather than a who done it because you yeah. know pretty straight early on who done it um but i just find it like 
it's such a brilliantly constructed book. Um, and it's also incredibly like profound and, and and just smart. And yeah, I know it's one of those, it's one of those books that you just go, it just comes along in your life occasionally. And 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 I'd probably put it in my top 10 books of all time. Yeah. And, and I was glad, I was actually glad having reread it, that it, it really stands up. It does. Like, I'm glad you chose it. Um, I was going to talk to you about like how you came to it, but I thought you sort of, sort of talked about that, but um. I might. Th- I thought what we'd do just to introduce people because uh, just speaking for myself, I'd never heard of this book before you'd mentioned. Right. Um, I, if I'm being honest, I hadn't heard of most of the books that you mentioned that were <laughs> in your list. Um, but I thought what I'd do for the listeners is actually read out some of the blurb. All right. Because it's actually a very good blurb. It actually gives a pretty good idea of the book. It's not bad. As, yeah. far, as, as far as blurbs go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's an art to a good blurb and this one does a pretty good job. So look, it was uh, first published in French in 2007 and then in English in 2009. Um, But from what I read, Philippe Claudel has like a long library of books that he's written, but very few of them actually have been translated to English. And so Mm -hmm. when people got this book, it's like one of his, you know, his 18th or 19th book that is... I think it was his second to be translated in English. Uh, The first one was Grey, Grey Souls. Oh, okay. And so it was sort of like a discovery for people. They were like, who is this genius that they've never heard of before? Um, So I'll read the blurb. Uh, So it says, forced into a brutal death camp, Broderick returns to his village at the end of a great war and takes up his old job of writing reports for a governmental bureau. One day, a stranger comes to live in the village. His odd manner and habits arouse suspicions. His speech is formal. He takes long, solitary walks. And although he is unfailingly friendly and polite, he reveals nothing about himself. And the stranger produces drawings of the village and its inhabitants that are both unflattering and insightful. The villagers murder him. So you get told what happens. <laughs> you don't even have to start the book to actually get the, the whodunit. The mystery, yeah. The villagers murder yeah. him. The authorities who witness the killing tell Brodeck to write a report that is essentially a whitewash of the incident. As Brodick writes the official account, he sets down his version of the truth in a separate parallel narrative. In measured evocative prose, he weaves into the story of the stranger, his own painful history, and the dark secrets the villagers have kept hidden. Um, yeah. That's an excellent blurb. Can I say that it actually steered me wrong a little bit? Oh, how? I feel it did. Well, this little line here where it says... Um, as Brodeck writes the official account, he sets down his version of the truth in a separate parallel narrative. And so when I came to the book, I had this expectation that I was going to read a chapter that was sort of his secret insight. Oh. And then the next chapter yeah, right. would be the report. And so I was always looking that for- That would have been cool. It would have been cool. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah but- just, you should, you should, you should, they should have come to you with it for the reader's report. And uh, you go, look, look, you know, good book, but uh, if I may suggest. <laughs> yeah, because I, I kept on, because I think that Brodeck is himself fairly unreliable and he keeps a lot of yes. things himself. So there was already that there, that vibe. But then as I was reading, I kept on like, is this is his wife actually there? Like, is she there? Because oh, yeah. she doesn't say anything and there's all this sort of mysterious stuff going on. So it took me a little while to get the idea that he, we were just reading the report of his version of the truth. And he would talk about yeah. the, the, the report that he was writing for the, the people that was whitewashed. And- yeah, yeah, so you never, re- you never really get 
um, the report he wrote. Uh, you you, you no. learn bits about it, but but you yeah he he writes the experience of writing the report. Yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's really clever, and I guess to start with, can I talk to you quickly just about the structure of this book because that's something that really struck me was how it seems effortless. Like it seems like he's oh, it's, just... it's ridiculous. Yeah, like it... I, I just I. I... You go. I, I was jealous. So I was like, you, you know, when sometimes you read a book and you're just like, man, like if I was able to make this sort of book happen, yeah, I would just, I would be sitting there patting myself on the back for weeks, like months, years afterwards, just going, like, how good am I? I like, seriously, think. how good am I? Yeah. You know, um, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, even like the first line to me is just killer, right? I think it's one of, it's, it's to me, is one of my favorite first lines ever. Yeah, it's, it's super amazing. simple. It's nothing, it's just like, here, um, my name is Brodek or Brodek. My name is Brodek and I had nothing to do with it. What a great first line. Yeah. You know, like it slowly throws you into what the hell is going on. Yeah. Then, and then you sort of, he just like lets little bits trickle in. And he quite early, like quite early in the book, he, he, he does like let you know that there's that this stranger has come to town and he's been murdered and he's trying to, sort of work out how it all came about but yeah. then he starts it's just all these time slips and you know aspects of his own own life slipping in um an experience that informs the way he's writing the report like it's just and it's also so it's so mysterious in the sense like you you don't really know where it is you don't really know when it is i mean it it suggests that it's somewhere in europe immediately yeah. after the second world war yeah. but there's nothing in it that tells you that it's there's you know it never says the word nazi like it never says in nazi it never says you know it, it never says the you know um anything particular about any camps you would recognize when he right. talks about his experience there yeah. um it, it doesn't talk about the, even the language like he uses a lot of um kind of uh, like foreign words yes. that are that are kind of unsettling and they're mostly germanic essentially right. but um but they don't like it you know is it a german town is it and it's just so it's almost like a it, it exists in a parallel universe that closely mm. resembles ours but isn't yeah. i noticed that he never said that. the word like he never said the word jewish like whenever he no. referred to religion or mm -hmm. anything it was just like this very yep. blank thing and then he when they were taking him to the, the camp, he was referred to as a foreigner. And that yes, was all they exactly. called him. Yes. And, and, and it's funny because a couple of the names of the people that he's with. So like Brodek himself is, he has a, a completely um, non-distinct name in, the, in terms of like in, in any sort of cultural sense. Whereas some of the people he trusts with, like there's, um, what's his name? Like Moshe Kalma, right? Who he goes in the in the he's in the camp with oh, and like yeah, you yeah. go okay well that's a clearly jewish name right yeah. and there are other names that are kind of sound clearly jewish but there's never any suggestion and also the other guy who gets ships out of town with him has a clearly jewish name shipman or something like that yeah yeah and um it but there's no there's no real sense of it being a jewish thing other than what you what your assumed right. knowledge brings into it yeah yeah and it's it's a lot of that and it's that stuff was really um it was just so elegantly done and it was so thoughtful. And it seemed like as he was doing all this stuff, like you say, it's so careful and precise, but it's only when you really think about it, that it's careful and precise. But when you read it, yeah. it's just like 
Roddick is remembering stuff and he's just writing stuff and it just seems so natural. But it also it, reads like, like a fable, right? Yeah. Like it's, it, it, that's the thing. Like it's got that beautiful flow of a fable. Yeah. And so, so yeah, like as you're saying, like it's not, it just sort of doesn't impose on you as a reader in that way. Like no. it just, it, it's quite, it's quite beautifully gentle, even though it's like, like harrowing and brutal and all these things. But um, it does have this you know, kind of incredible, I mean, look, what I find amazing is given that it's a translation, the prose is just awesome. Oh, it's amazing. Right? I've like, got, I'm going to, there's a section later that we'll get to, which is like favorite lines. So I have a couple oh, yeah. to nominate for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, and I just, I was thinking about the way that he, because it's very early on, you learn that he went, he was in that train carriage as they were shipped yeah. to the camp. And you learn that he was with this guy, uh, his friend, who I don't remember the name, sorry, but he was with his friend. And then as they were marching to the camp, I think, I feel like I remember the friend just sort of laid down and just gave up. And yes. The guards, yes. Come on, move. And you need to move. That, I think that was, I think that was Kelma, wasn't it? That was Moshe Kelma, I think. Yeah. I might be wrong. Might, but, yeah, no, no, but, but it's, yeah, it was, yeah. So he was, he just, his friend gave up and you don't know why, but you don't like, it's not like it's left empty or something. It's just, it's a story unto itself. But then later on, and, you know, obviously we're talking spoilers for... Yeah, I know. This is, there's, a, there's actually the problem is, is like some of the, some of the important kind of, I don't know, ethical and moral aspects of this book sort of depend on you knowing some spoilers, which is yeah. problematic, but yeah. But you, you find out later, and I've got this listed in one of the most... Because later on, I'd like to get to a few categories of stuff just to highlight. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I've got this later in the, in the section about um, moving moments. But like this part yeah. where you find out that this this mother was in the train and she was um, nursing her baby and she had a secret little bottle of water. And then for five, four or five days, these two guys had gone without any water. And then the mum was so weak, she fell asleep and they, they found she dropped the bottle of water and they found it and they both drank from the water, effectively stealing nourishment from the mother and baby who both passed yeah. away. Yes. So harrowing and brutal, but the way that it's done where you know that his friend then gave up and it's explained in that way is such a gut punch. Like if yeah. he straight up said it at the end, like that whole thing, it wouldn't have felt as you, you just, it just unwinds all of the stuff that came previously. And I, it's so clever. And I, yeah, I, I know um, Sarah Bailey has this word gel spiration where you're equally inspired and jealous at the same time. <laughs> but I got that a lot reading this. Yeah, same. And what was what I actually found really interesting reading this is how deeply it's actually influenced me and particularly um, the book I'm working on at the moment. Um, I did not realise how much this, this Brodak, the book, has like seeped into me as mm. like in the way I think and the way I sort of want to write. Um, and there are so many parallels that border on the uncomfortable for me now having reread it without <laughs> realizing that, that it had kind of subconsciously um, just, you know, sunken in. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just, it's really, it's one of those books that like, I think it like it profoundly affects you so much that you can't help to continue its conversation. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm now doing that in, in, in what I'm, I'm basically, I'm writing a fable and it has a lot of, um, as I said, parallels, but yeah, it's still significantly different. But I just sit there and go, if I had to name 
the book that has clearly most inspired what I'm doing. It's it's the new one. Uh, it's it's product. Yeah, wow, that's huge, dude. That's a, it's, it's um, it's kind of cool to think that it's sort of sort of wish I hadn't hadn't reread it. because <laughs> now, now like I'm like now I'm like becoming like super like super conscious of it, and, and I'm just like oh no, oh, now people are just going to go oh Bram's trying to rip off Brodick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I show you I'm not. You know what though? Like when that stuff happens, like when you have these influences, like I feel like as an author, we're the ones who feel it the most. Like we feel like, oh, I'm just yeah. aping this other guy or, or girl that I've read. But yeah. when people read it, I don't think they see as much as we do when we're bleeding into it. So I'm sure no one will. Maybe maybe the the, the one thing working in my favour, um, this podcast not with, notwithstanding, is that <laughs> As you said, this is quite an obscure book, so a lot of people will not have read it, and so they yeah. can't just go, "Oh, look what Bram's done!" You know? Yeah, um, <clears throat> took a while to get it. Anyway. Like, I feel like they almost printed it out, especially for me, just about like it took a while. <laughs> they may well, have, or they had to dig in the in the in the warehouse. Yeah, yeah, it's in the back in the dust. Um, I had a question for you. I just just an ethical question on the actual writing of the novel. So I did. And they did a bit of internet research, you know, reading about some reviews and some things when it came out, a bit of an interview with Claudel as well, which I might mention a little later. Um, but um, there was this, uh, there was a paper, like a university, like a research degree, and the title of it was The Holocaust Universalized and yep. by um, Helena Duffy. And uh, it's sort of, and I'm, you know, I don't know how people read about doctorates and theses theses and stuff like that but it takes me a while to sort through the language i hope it's not just me um but it sort of it seems to be saying like in the writing of this and the writing of it as a fable so without being specific to the holocaust um that it's sort of setting it it's sort of removing the specificity of it of the holocaust from that obviously devastating traumatic you know don't need to keep going on but like yeah yeah of course yeah yeah yeah. but in the in the fabulizing of it that it was actually removing some of its um its core meaning like and it was doing it a disservice and it was interesting like like because i mean you go you you answer go ahead because no like it's just like you know this is something that i'm i think hypersensitive uh, about and yeah. hyper aware about and something that I've written about as well um, yes. in terms of the way we write the Holocaust. Um, and for me, this absolutely is like, I think it's completely okay to use a reader's assumed knowledge of, of where the, where the kind of, um, uh, I don't know, the, the, the inspiration derives and, yeah. um, without having to, to say like because the thing is I, what I think is amazing about this book is it can be read as a holocaust book but like it, it it can also be read or arguably it ought more to be read mm. as a universal book um that you know the lessons of the, the holocaust holocaust are universal and, and they can be um if done right this is the problem this is this is the question like if you do it right and here and here I think Claudelle has done it brilliantly yes. um to draw the parallels to draw the uh uh you know the lessons uh, that 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 people ought to um learn or or understand from something as kind of you know, something of the magnitude of the holocaust um I, I just think that he has done it 
um, kind of perfectly here. And the fable works because there's a horror to a fable, right? Like, and I, like, I love writing fables. And in like, uh, you know, in, in, in my book, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote several of them as kind of digressions. And, um, and I think they're actually, the fable brings with it an, like an assumption by the writer that a reader will um, kind of draw their own inferences, but also um, kind of, it gives them a bit more space uh, to, to interpret and to, to understand. And I just think um, That's like for me. Yeah. Right. So like I can, as a, you know, cause I, I, I don't have your history and I, this is something that's, I, I can feel, but obviously it's not specific to, to me necessarily, unless it's just as a human being, which is, you know, might be important in and of itself. Yeah. But like you're saying that as a fable is more invitational, like you put yourself more into yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I feel that because it, it has that kind of folkloric um, uh, sort of, uh, there's a slightly um, ethereal uh, atmosphere and it, it, you know, it causes a reader to, to kind of, uh, as you said, bring themselves, bring, and I, and I think this, the beauty of something like, like this book is that the, you know, the Holocaust is not the only genocide. It's not the only, uh, you know, it's, it's not the only atrocity. It's, you know, it's, it is obviously, um, you know, one of, if not the, you know, the, the biggest, and, and it's certainly the first that, um, you know, where, you know, there was this industrialized uh, yeah. murder, essentially, like this machinery of murder uh, that, that used uh, technology and, 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 and the whole uh, bureaucracy of state uh, in the way it did. But, but I think it's important sometimes to also kind of remove yourself a bit to look at the, the wider lesson. Um, and that's what I think Brodeck does really brilliantly, yeah. uh, you know, because like for me, this, this book is, it's about, it's about a few things, but above all, um, like I feel it's kind of a, almost an investigation into the moral and the ethical um, dimension of what it means to survive um, and what yeah, we'll do to, and what, and what, and what we'll do to survive. So, you know, if you look at, um, you know, on one form, on one side, there's, you know, Brodex, like, I, I won't say willing, but, he, but he, I don't know, acquiesces, I suppose, to, yeah. to humanization for survival, yeah. right? Yeah. And he, he, he debases himself so that he can survive. And there's the, the whole thing about, he does. You know, that's the he, thing, though. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he becomes the, the, the dog um, in, in the camp, they lead him around on a leash. And he, Brodex you know, the dog, yeah. But yeah, and anyone, but anyone who refuses to do that, they kill, right? So, and he's the only one of his friends basically survives because he 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 agrees to do that. Whereas on the flip side, you've got these villagers who it sort of becomes apparent uh, collectively are collectively complicit hmm. in in the occupation, yes. and when and when forced to face the the culpability of that, the moral culpability of that to survive they actually do something also terrible in it terribly inhuman and, and debasing in murder right so well i feel like they do more than murder like they do a, a whole bunch of different well events. yes absolutely oh, are, i'm talking about i'm talking about murdering the murdering the the under the the, the outsider who who rise right, but yeah, yes also during the occupation during the occupation as well yes they they kind of 
take it on. Yeah. Um, because, the, the, and, and, you know, you want to say all this time, you know, they're, they're, they're terrible uh, uh, accomplices or, or something like that to, to the machinery of murder. But there's also the scene at the very beginning when the, when the occupying force comes in and they, they do a search for the rifles. And there's this one guy who yeah, that's right. doesn't declare a rifle, but it, he didn't even know it was there. Right, but it was an old rusty rifle at the back of his his barn or something, and uh, he comes in. Uh, they they find it. The the soldiers go and find it, and then they arrest him, and then they do a a public execution. They force the entire um, village to come and watch his. And, and it's a really brutal execution. They brutal, you know, yeah. bend him over a log and, and 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 decapitate him. And they and then they also tell the villagers that you're not allowed to remove his body or bury it. And he just bodies rots in the town square over the. the so like you know you want to be angry at the villagers for their um, complicity, for their for their acquiescence, whatever, or inaction or whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, you like, I, I think this book invites you to, to question what you would do yeah. to save your own life. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's all very well to, to think I'm going to be a hero or I would do, you know, I would be part of the resistance or I would do, you know, small acts of bravery or whatever. But like, if you genuinely you? thought you you were going to be killed or your family was going to be killed, would you do it? That's a huge, yeah. Like, to, yeah. So we all we can all say, like, I would be one of the few who would stand up, and I would say, you know, yeah. Right, well, but you know, what is the reality? Like, you hope you you hope you're brave enough, but my gosh, like we I've been in such a place of privilege that you know, mm-hmm. been faced with that exactly question, and it's yep. so it's so important really to consider like what is the weight of the value you place in your own ethical choice and what do you place like the worth of your own life yeah and also a kind of dignity plays into it as well like will you be would you be willing to absolutely sacrifice your dignity to survive like you know are you you know are you happy to live as someone knowing that you stoop to great undignified depths yeah well uh, and, Bro- and Brodeck re- wrestled with that a lot through the book he did and it's like but so gently and thoughtfully like it's so it's not like I mean the way we're talking about it makes it sound like it's just so um I don't know maybe depressing or maybe not that that's yeah. not the right word, but it just sounds like it's just full of despair but it's really not like he's no He's quite a hopeful character. Like he's he's amazingly hopeful, and this is the actual beautiful thing, yeah. right? Like, and you kind of think, and I think his wife was a really particularly good example in this. When you, you know, for the first two thirds of the book, you think this is really weird. And as you said, is she really there? What's she actually doing? She's sort of this silent, and then you learn what actually happened to her during the occupation, and you realize that she's essentially a catatonic husk now, and she survived. She was the only survivor of of, of an atrocity. Right, yeah. and you and then you're kind of like he and and that that, that uh, Brodick's daughter um, is not actually his daughter, but was the product of of what happened during like in the atrocity. Yeah. Um, there was a, a gang rape. Uh, it was it's it's an awful by the, uh, yeah. by, the by the villagers as well. So they, no, they, so killed, the, they killed three girls, like three young yeah. girls, three young refugee girls who were found in the forest, um, and they thought they were being saved, and they followed. Um, the character who found them back to the village and they basically um, locked them in a barn. And also when um, Brodick's wife tried to protest, they'd locked her in. And then the entire, you know, all the men of the village went into the barn and then they came out and three of 
the three girls were dead and um, Amelia Burdick's wife is, is you know, almost dead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, well, and as you said, like, you know, Burdick comes back and he, he takes her, takes it, you know, on the role of her. He's got this undying love for her, which is just gorgeous. It's what sustains him through the camp as well. He, he's willing to, you know, sacrifice his dignity in that way, in the way he does or do whatever it takes to survive because he is carried by the love of his wife, uh, you know, for his wife. And when he comes back, it's not in the slightest bit diminished, despite the fact that what he returns to is yeah. not at all what he left. And he's not like, there's not an ounce of resentment or anger or, mm. you know, why are you like this? Come on, snap out of it. There's not an ounce of judgment. He's just, he, yeah. he cares for her. And the same about his relationship to his daughter, who he loves. And like, there's, a, there's another thing we'll get to. Actually, no, let's do it now. Just on one of the best <laughs> quotes, I think. Yeah. at the book had which was where is it man there's some great um and I, oh, I, yeah. I can't pronounce the name i put i looked it up on the internet just to make sure i had it right but it was like poop keta or something like that oh I, I that would actually make a lot more sense i i would i read it as poop shit but you know. yeah that's poop shit but i'll read it like yeah. that oh, and, and this is the quote but this is this is just comes in about two-thirds of the way through the book and it's just this little elegant thing where he goes to the side and he just talks about his, his daughter and what people might say about her. And so I'll read it. He says, Oh, little poop shit. Some may tell you that you are nobody's child, a child of defilement, a child begotten in fear and yeah. horror. Some may tell you that you are a child of abomination conceived in abomination, a tainted child, a child polluted long before you were born. Do not pay attention to them. My little sweetheart, please do not listen to them. Listen to me. I say you are my child and I love you. I sometimes say that out of horror, beauty and sad of horror, beauty and purity and grace are born. I say I'm your father forever. I say the loveliest rose can bloom in contaminated soil. I say you are the dawn, the light of all my tomorrows. And the only thing that matters is the promise you represent. I say you are my luck and my forgiveness. My darling poop shed, I say you are my whole life. Yeah, gorgeous. Insane. Like, it's funny, like, and as a, like, you know, uh, as a parent reading that, just, you know, and you, you think of how you feel for your, for that your moved, own kids. Like just reading and, it then, like, that moved me. Yeah, like, same. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's just. Yeah. And it's about yeah. it's about a daughter that he's essentially adopted. And yeah. like I said, it was born out of horror, but, like, she's perfect. And I just. Yes, it's gorgeous. It's, part of it's interesting. That, it's part of the thing I think that was so winning about the book is, like, you, you really love Brodick. And yeah, I think that if it were a book that was just full of despair and misery, and you know, those books have their place as well, but it's just you want you just want so much for him. You want so much yeah. for him. And he's such a winning character that you just want to you yeah, you just are swept up into his story. But it's also amazing that he kind of moves through this village in the knowledge of, firstly, what they've just done in terms of the murder, in terms of what they did during the war, in terms of what they did to his wife, in terms of like, and, and, but he still made, as you said, he doesn't kind of, he doesn't go through it with this, I don't know, you, I, would, I would be kind of like this raging, yeah. you know, indicting, uh, righteous anger sort of thing. Liam Neeson, and, taken. Yeah. <laughs> right? <That's> like, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he's not. He's like he's no. he's considered, and he seems to care about them. Like I, yes. I was, I was really struck. Like the, one of the first things that you figure out is like he 
has come back to this town and then he, he, he says that when the occupiers came to the town that they, because he was a foreigner and there was another person as well, but they essentially gave him up. They like dobbed him yeah. in. The reason he yeah. went to the concentration camp was because of the, I guess, cowardice or like the, hmm. the yeah, like you're saying, the acquiescence of the, of the people in the village. But then he survives the camp by, like you say, debasing himself and being dehumanized. And then he comes back to live next door to the people who sent him to the camp. Like I just, that had- yeah, And he turns up and his, name, his name's on the monument of people who died during the war. Yeah. And they just kind of, they just kind of half scrub it off when, when he gets back, you know? Oh and it's God. like, you know, he, he sees the, the name of the guy that was um, shipped out with him um, and that stays on. And he sees the, the mayor's two sons who were so, soldiers. So th- they were like hopeless soldiers who- Yeah, they- I think that, they, they, Yeah, the grenade accident. And they were just on the outskirts of town. They didn't even do any, like it was a completely unheroic kind of like, uh, you know, undignified death. Yes. Um, and then there's him. And uh, yeah, and he just kind of continues on as being like this sort of, and he still remains, I think, throughout this kind of half dead character to the to the yeah. to the people in the town. Um, like he's clearly an outsider as well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like you say, he's not like a revenge fueled maniac. Like he, no, he's trying to live his best life, and he's trying to do what they ask. And I don't know, it's such an interesting way. It's such a it's a much more human way of doing it. It's much more, I think, interesting. You know, Liam Neeson in Taken has its place. Like I enjoy watching Taken yeah. as much as the next guy, but the, <laughs> but Brodex like considered it seems more like what a human being would actually do. You just sort of try to yeah. go forward. You move forward in some capacity. You know, it's interesting. I always remember uh, back many years ago, um, I taught at Melbourne Uni Summer School. And uh, I taught, uh, and, and it was a, a lot of the kids there were were refugee kids, and, and it was just after the war in uh, in Bosnia. I was just dating myself a bit, but um, and I just remember I was chatting to this this one kid, an awesome awesome kid. And he was, and he was just saying to me, yeah, he remembers, yeah, one one week he's playing soccer with his his friends, and then there's the division between, um, you know, uh, the the Serbs and the and the Bosnians, the Croats, and um, his, the soldiers came into his town and they took his best friend and um, they, this should, this should be, I should trigger warning. This, this is um, quite uh, uh, graphic. Um, they decapitated his best friend and took, took the soldiers, this, took it to the soccer field and made all the kids play soccer with it. And then, uh, but wow, these were people he horrible. knew, but these are people he knew, right? Like he knew the soldiers. Oh. Like they were people. And then after the war, the soldiers just came back and like tried and continued life, right? Yeah, and it's just oh it's like, I mean, you know, his family left as you, you know, absolutely would. Yeah, um, but man, it was like it's. I still, you know, that story haunts me to this day. Yeah, and it's enough. it's the most shocking story I've ever been told in my life. And but I just think of this whole thing about and and you hear it about like in in Rwanda as well um, that after the the genocide suddenly everyone just returned to you know in in, in inverted commas uh, normal and the the Hudus and and Tutsis were forced to live you know side by side or not forced they just went back to living side by side um, and it's just such a strange concept because like yeah. I think in Australia for for 
like yeah, at least for me, um, that that concept's so foreign. Mm. Um, but you know, it's just. But to think that like these kind of war ravaged countries, particularly the very small ones, um, where where you know you're still when you know when the dust settles, life has to continue. And how do you do that? How do you how do you navigate? Yeah. Um, the traumas of what you experienced, and you know, I guess that's why they, you know in South Africa they have the, you know the Truth and, and, and Reconciliation Commission and th- those sort of things, and like because it recognizes the the necessity that people are going to be have to live together again. Yeah, and it's then just, it's 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 shocking. It's shocking, yeah, and it's 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 in, almost impossible to really imagine. But then someone like Brodeck also having to live with the thing that he did. So the thing where he yes. had the water on the train in the train carriage. And then, well, that, this is... and then like he like Philippe Claudel doesn't make it easy either. Like the no. woman starts to <laughs> scream and bash people and trying to like just need my water for my baby. And like it's a horrible yeah. scene. Yes. But like you say, he survives. But then like the, the weight of living with it. So this is actually a really interesting thing that I thought in the book, right? Because it asks the questions like, what's worse, the guilt we feel within ourselves or the one that we're forced to face, right? And it shows that. So Brodick is a a product of the first one. So he sort of feels that everything bad that, and this is why he he kind of takes everything bad that happens to him um, with some sort of um, just... I don't know. I don't want to say it's water off a duck's back, but he, but this kind of quiet acceptance, yeah. um, because he feels that it's punishment for his moral failing. That's um, right. Yeah. Both at both yeah. at the time of you know Brodeck the dog, but also particularly what happened on the train with that woman, yeah. and he feels that everything that everything that bad that happens to him and to the the people he loved um, or loves uh, is punishment for what he did, and so he's he's sort of willing to cop that on the chin. Right. Whereas, if you look at the um, the villagers, uh, they they can't live with having to face what yeah. they um, yeah. with w- what they did. They were they, the whole, their whole point is that they want to live um, by forgetting. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, there's a there's a passage somewhere about the importance of like you know forgetting. We just want to forget. And even when he delivers the report, I mean, this is it's a spoiler of sorts, but it doesn't really spoil much. Um, you know, um, Oshweer, who's the the uh, the mayor, uh, he take he takes the report from Brodick, just throws it straight in the fire. And he said, "Okay, thanks. Now that's done with. Now we're moving on." Yeah. Right. It's like the writing of the report was the reckoning itself. But you know, once we've done that, we can we can move can on without ever yeah. having to face it. There was an interesting yeah. passage too with the um, the priest, the drunk minister. Where oh, he says, he what said, a great character! Yeah, and he says, "I'm not, I'm not, I'm not salvation, or I'm not confession. I'm the human human sewer." And you just come in to throw your yes, thoughts. yes. I was like, man, <laughs> they're all good. But he's characters. interesting because I know aren't they though? Like it's so, they're so like you know he's such a such a, 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 a like a failure as a, like everything that he should. I mean, the, the beautiful thing in, in this book, it, it, towards the end, the 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 Andera, the, the the stranger, has an art exhibition for one of a better term, where he's done portraits of all the people that shows their true face, and that and that's where they rec- they see the guilt, their, their own guilt. He basically acts as a, a mirror um, into their dark selves, and 
it's just interesting, you know, I, I, I vaguely remember he, he, you know, describing the, the priest in really like incredibly, uh, you know, unflattering terms, yeah, yeah. But, but they're spot on, right? And like all, the way these people who have their public face were such moral either failures, um, cowards or um, actively aggressors uh, mm-hmm. was, was, you know, and, and the thing is people... People don't want to look back at that. Look, you either choose, you know, to accept your moral failings of the past or you try to completely repress them. And if you've chosen the latter, you can't handle um, being forced to, to it's, like, it's like the classic thing, you know, people don't do it anymore, but I always just remember my grandmother used to rub my, her dog's, um, her dog's uh, nose in, in, in its piss if it did it in the like in the house or something right the sure. classic thing from the yeah, yeah. You know. and so <laughs> and uh and i think it's that same thing you know the, the shame of it it kind of reminds me of uh you know the last line of the trial the cafe you know as if the, the shame shame of it would outlive him because you know people can't i think people have to tell themselves versions of themselves if they're going to continue living mm. um like yeah construct stories about themselves and you don't look at this side quest that we went on and did some super immoral things. Yes. We're, we're not that person. That was just a thing. We're, we're not even going to entertain that that happened. This is what the story is and this is who I am and this is the story of the town. Um, yeah. Gosh, that's interesting. The other, the, 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 like the, the, there's kind of like a corollary to that, which is the role of silence, right? And I think that's really important because that, the one thing that's really interesting about the, the Andorra, who's the stranger who comes into town, is that he's mostly silent. He probably says five lines in the entire book. Yeah. And he's you're kind of this repository of stories um, rather than a teller of stories. And um, everyone feels very threatened by the silence because when someone's silent in your face, it forces you like to keep talking. It forces you to keep, to, fill in the you know, to, yeah. to look, yeah, and to look, and, and, and you're, you end up, uh, they become, they, they do, they become a mirror. You know, that's, that's what it is. They, you're just, there's nothing worse than trying to like justify yourself to someone who's not giving you anything. They're not giving you any sort of absolution, right? So if you're, mm. if you're, if your constructed self is, uh, it, you know, is this, uh, it, it, it is this, you know, kind of self-justified, this is what happened, but I, 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 I am, I'm above my actions or something like that. And, and you're trying to kind of you know, essentially make a confession. <laughs> but, but the people, um, you'll give it to me, they're just literally just like this stony face silence, just like you realise that it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not holding water. It's, it's your, crap, your, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, and I think, that, sorry? I just, I just, uh, I like, yeah, and like he does the 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 stranger or the ender, like he does nothing but be pleasant and listen and be friendly, and then he paints them pictures of themselves, and like a part of me thinks about that a lot of what they saw in those pictures wasn't even there. Like it could have just been pictures yeah. painted. Yeah, but like they looked there and they're like, "I'm I can't take this." Like it's all this constructed, and then all these rumors and gossip spread throughout the town about what he's doing he's taking secret notes about us yes he's, he's, yeah he's a secret spy. sketches and, yeah and uh, actually that's a really good point i hadn't i hadn't thought of that that um that perhaps uh the pictures themselves were completely i don't know innocuous for him but yeah. and that you know and that i think it's but you know if you look at a photo of yourself um 
that he's that that, that I don't know uh, somehow uh, reminds you of a time of uh, you know or or, or was you know taken at a time in your life or so that when you weren't happy with yourself or where you did bad things and you're kind of or even if you're just getting a straight portrait of yourself and you're going who is that who am I right and you're forced to to really question your essence Mm. uh and then you then you suddenly start seeing everything that you know is wrong with you or that you know is wrong with your neighbor so I I hadn't thought of it because there's this it's funny you said before about um, about whether Amelia was real, whether the wife was real. You were questioning that for a while. But there's also this brilliant thing at the very end of the book where he's leaving town and he looks back and it's not there, yeah. right? And you just go, you know, what even was real in this book? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's it's just so brilliant. And, yeah. and because that, that's the kind of thing, like, you know, are, you know, are we just or are, is what we experience just a projection of ourselves? Yeah. Um, are we nothing more than the stories we tell about ourselves? Yeah. How we view the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I, I get that too. Like I, you know, there's pictures I look at myself and you just, you instantly get shame and you just, especially like body weight problems. Like oh, I'm just a fat loser. <laughs> like what was I thinking? Yeah. You know, <laughs> this week. I hear you. Preach, preach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this week I found, this will make you laugh. Um we found that someone had uploaded the, a DVD that the Sounds Like Chicken, because I was in a band called Sounds Like Chicken, there was a DVD uploaded of a footage of us playing. But as I watched it back, like I felt this mix of pride and, you know, I had such a good time. I love the guys, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But I was looking at myself yeah. going, what were you doing? Like, what an idiot. Like, why were you wearing that? You know, why did you play that particular bass? And I was guess that, was that up, was that uploaded uh, uh, by the guy from uh, Fist to Face? No, no. Because he's, <laughs> like, he's been saying he's been going through a lot of stuff. He's been oh, found a lot of the old Boomtown bands, and he Boom wants Town, to. Yeah. He's been uploading stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think it was. Maybe it was from like a secret profile or something. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's 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 really the way we talk about ourselves, and then Brodek is so considered and thoughtful and hopeful. Like he seems to be like a quiet type of authority on, to me, the way to live a good life. Like he seems like, yeah. whereas the, the villagers just sort of, they, the stories they tell about themselves are, I guess it's inaccurate. There's no sort of sober, yeah. there's no sober judgment. Like they're just, like the mayor is just so full of himself and just everything. Oh, man. Just what so a horrible guy. Horrible, yeah. Horrible person. But everything I do is to serve the town. He's telling himself this story. Like- yes, but this is, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I, and this is actually interesting because here the, the Holocaust parallel comes in. So, you know, there were Jewish elders of concentration camps and ghettos who had to work, you know, they, they were the administrators who were the, the, the contact points for the Nazis. And, you know, after the war, there was a lot of debate about whether they were, you know, essentially complicit. Um, and, and so I found that about... Um, Oshmere the mayor as well. Like he he says towards the end when he speaks with uh, with Brodek and he says, essentially, I did bad things. I know I did bad things, and and like in themselves, I'm ashamed of them. But at the end of the day, what choice did I have? I had to save the villagers, right? And I couldn't. I, I was sitting there when I'm reading and thinking, it's so hard. Can you be? Can you be morally culpable? But also 
be exculpated by by circumstance at the same mm. time. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good question. And, and that was the same question with these the elders in the in the in the ghettos and the concentration camps. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's so difficult that that whole it just, yeah it, it goes back to this question of you know what we're willing to do to survive. Yeah, um, and and also you know what if you're doing the wrong thing for the right reason. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and justifying the means sort of argument. Yeah, know, an interesting thing too. But yeah. I guess, I guess too, like we can't. It's not really our place to sit in a type of moral superiority over the characters in the book, because, like mm. you were saying before, like you know, we're not in that circumstance. Like we don't know what we'd do, and you don't know. You just don't know. Like until you're in that circumstance, you don't know. No one can. What I think, what I think is actually really brilliant that Claudel does in that way is that. He sort of sets you up for this, like, moral reckoning of yourself because I think for the first good lot of the book, it seems very clear where your kind of allegiances should lie and your your and it invites you to moral judgment. And then he go turns it all around in the last third of the book, yeah. where you suddenly have to go, oh, hold on a sec, oh, oh no, now I'm the terrible person. Um, <laughs> Jump to jump to conclusions, and I still hate these people because I've been built up to, to, to hate these people. But ah, oh, you know, I probably would have been the same. And yeah. this is a perfectly human response. And yeah, um, and you know, if this made, would I have wanted that guy to sacrifice me to save? Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, so me and my entire no, or to, to, I mean the other way, like you know, me and my family um, would be saved uh, oh, right. by by sacrificing. Joe Blow, who I sort of know from the local butcher shop, but like I don't, I don't, you know, if it's him yeah. or my family, take him. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's hard. Yeah, I don't want to say that I did that, but like, of course you like, you, and particularly like as as a as a parent, like, um, and I think about it's funny. Someone someone asked me. There's a scene in my book which is like has is the murder of a child, and someone said to, me, and I wrote wrote this before I had kids. And I wrote before I had kids, and someone said, "Could you write that scene having had kids now?" And I, I'm like, "I don't know. I probably would have written it differently, and I, I couldn't have been so uh, in my mind objective about it." And so then, it, like, and that's just in, that's just a bloody book, right? Like, this is not it's not real life. And if yeah, suddenly sure. this, this decision comes with my kid, like any parent would would do anything to save a kid, and even if it means you have to do something morally kind of reprehensible. Oh gosh, that's hard. That's hard, man. Like you sort of have to investigate where your sense of moral value comes from and how important it is. Yeah, gosh, that's that's because <laughs> could you like like if you if you were Brodick and, 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 and you know having done what he did, I like I sit there and I go, you know, could you live with yourself? Could I live with myself? Um and like the fact that he manages to, but but in a kind of way that that that, that has like constant self-flagellation. Um, it, it is quite astounding, but I'm just like, I don't know that I'd be able to do that thing, whatever it is, um, and just go afterwards. Well, you know, I I, I feel okay about myself because I just oh, I don't know. I couldn't. I'd be like tormented to my dying day. Yeah, which arguably product is, I suppose. Arguably, yeah. But he rises yeah. above it. That's what that's what's amazing about it. And this yeah. is what I, this is what's such a great kind of portrait of of the the. I don't know the, the, this incredible, I don't know human strength that 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 might be drawn from the wellspring to to be able to 
to rise above it. But you know, you've got to be a special kind of person. And like, frankly, reading, I'm not that person. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the problem. And and there's nothing. There's, it's actually it's interesting as a reader because you go in there and you go, okay, who do I who do I relate? Like, I'm sort of one of the villagers. I'm not Brodeck. I'm oh, one of the villagers. That's the book is the painting. Like, the book is the stranger's painting back to it. It is. Oh, it no. is. <laughs> Which is actually, where do you say that? Like, that's just genius. It right? is genius. Oh, I appreciate the book even more now that we've been talking. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so I'd like to go, and now these are categories are just a bit silly, but I just thought yep. it would be fun. So I've, I've made a list of like best scenes. So scenes that I just, I just highlighted. Oh, man. Like I dog-eared a bunch in this book. I just yeah, I kept. I mean, I I'd narrowed it down, but I don't know whether any of my best <laughs> scenes will be your best scenes as well. So I'll just make my list. So we've yeah. already talked about. I thought Brodeck the dog was a brilliant thing. Like oh, so good. And then the way that linked to there was a dog in the town that was like a yes, that, that old stray. Was it Zungfrost? I think his name was. Zungfrost. And then there was that thing about the foxes, and then then yeah, the oh, that was weird. It was weird. Then at the end, yeah. he looks at the dog and it looks like an old fox. Yeah. Do you remember that? And I yeah. was like, yeah. Mean? But I loved all that stuff. I like that I don't know. Like, I like the mystery of that. Well, this is the beauty of a fable, isn't it, though? Like, it, yeah, there's so yeah. many kind of, those mysterious scenes can be put in there for you to kind of ponder the, the, the meaning in a thousand different ways. And they're all right. Yeah. Gosh, that's good. Um, I've got... Um, I've got the reveal of when Brodak has finished the report, like you said, the throwing of it into the fire and the whole thing's been oh, just cut for nothing. For nothing, yep. Yeah. Um, he's agonized over it, you know, for the book. Um, and then I've you know got- what for me, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I'll, I'll, I'll chuck in one that, oh, okay, yeah, because I think we, we, might, we, we, might, we, might share, we might share this one because sure. we have discussed it. Um, when Brodak is returning from the camp on his way back to the village and he stops in. This old man, basically everyone turns away from him as he's trying to, no one gives him shit, except for this one old man who basically, it reminds me of um, the priest at the beginning of Le Mis, right? Who, uh, you yeah, know, takes yeah. Jean Valjean. And he's like this old guy and he does, he, he really tries to give Brodick some comfort in his journey and gives him some things as he leaves. And, and, and he just says to him that his son was one of the, essentially one of the soldiers, one of the occupiers, or that's at least what it, the suggestion of it. Yeah. Um, it's it's not. I don't think it's um, that that explicit. No. Um, you know, and he just says, "Please forgive him. Please forgive them." And I'm just like, man, that was just so crushing. Like this feeling of the father who feels this incredible shame for what. Yeah, his like that was what was did. motivating him. Like, yeah, it felt so pure. It felt so beautiful. Like this this old man giving um, Brodek you know, the soup and like, there was a bunch of different things. It was just a comfort. And it was the first time he felt like that. And I just thought it was from this place of love, but it was actually yeah. a type of guilt. And it's like, oh. yeah, he needed, he needed absolution. He wanted product to, to, to be his absolution, which was just, yeah, that was so powerful. It was really good. Um, also the, 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 the actual, the whole sequence with the three refugee girls. Oh man, that is just harrowing. Because it's so like you just have such hope for them when they're discovered, and you I think, haven't you know, actually got that listed down. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> but no, probably... but like I had to narrow it down. But like that was yeah. yeah, like you say, my gosh, yeah, you have such hopes for them, and then what the villagers do. Like when we've been talking, like we've been saying, you know, the villagers, a lot of what they do is sort of oh, I can understand, but like that. No, this one's moment, just like it's just completely evil and vile. 
It's interesting because it's actually like the flip side. There's there's a really brilliant kind of um, juxtaposition of mob mentalities. So there's that scene with the mob that descends on these three girls. But in the camp, there's the mob scene about the the, the commandant's wife, right? So what's her I've name? I've got the, that listed. Uh, That's part of yeah. I've got that what's her name? It's a very long German word that <laughs> probably compounds, but it means the soul eater. And she's this, she comes down each day because every day in the camp they, they, they execute a person and she comes down and they wait for her and they, she, and they just randomly pick someone. Yeah, and so, hang on, so let's know, just talk about that because that bit was really scary. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. So what they do is they wake up all of the prisoners and then they play this horrible game where they just by chance draw lots and then someone gets to pick a person and that person has to go and take down the body from the previous day, bury it, and then go up on the stool and hang himself Yes. every day. So every day they woke up with this terror of uncertainty and like, yes, it made me think, cause I was in, um, I went on a trip through Europe and we went to Berlin and we found, we saw that the monument to the, um, the, the people of the Holocaust that, yeah. I don't know whether you've seen it, that big grave. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing. But like walking through that and the uncertainty and the, the, yeah. the feeling small, like, oh man, yes. it was full on. And I think, yeah. And so this, this, this woman, the wife of the, the camp, yeah, down, the, the soul leader, she comes and they wait for her. Everyone and she comes and she sings some lullaby to her baby who she's nursing, um, and just oh, and then kind worse. of and then yeah and then nods nods at the executioner who kicks the chair out from under the person who's had to you know put the rope around their own neck, um, and that's just her her thing. And then when the camp is liberated, she's sort of left behind and she but she's in this weird daze where she's still walking around the street singing this lullaby to herself. She's obviously sort of just kind of lost it. And then there's this kind of scene where. Broderick de- describes the mob descending on her and then then kind of dispersing and she's just this kind of trampled corpse on the ground yeah. after but like so this is like there are these I think there's also one other scene of mob mentality well actually the murder of the under is a mob mentality scene yeah, as well so there's all these different kind of examinations of the mob mm. and I find that I find it incredibly interesting because you know, when the mob descends on on the uh, Zealand um you're doing such a good job. I I oh, thanks. I should have. I should have practiced. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, you yeah. But like, it's still this whole the whole concept of descending on someone on mass and just being caught up in that. Um, even actually, you know, also in the when there's kind of a description of an event that is like Kristallnacht um, when he's at uni, and it's kind of another really harrowing scene of where this old man is beaten to death by a on child. My list. On my list, yeah. And uh, he, I have to say, we, we've really making this book sound a lot like like pitch black, um, you know. But like it's horrific. But it's actually got it's it, it is incredibly like yeah. you know what it reminds me of and and it, it, it actually hit me when because you tweeted about this um a while ago where you had just read crime and punishment uh, yeah. and it has that and it, for me it's that same sort of moral force it's like the sort of book that doesn't get written anymore it, it, it is a strong moral like morally complex yeah like morally profound book yeah um and there's a lot there's a lot of kind of uh similarities in even in tone, in in 
the kind of I suppose the 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 structuring of the book to examine a moral question that yeah. crime and punishment has like it's very that kind of that that kind of Russian classic. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, I say I liked Brodeck more than I liked Crime and Punishment. Yeah, same. And I, I should say that I love Crime and Punishment. To get me wrong, but I I, I think Brodeck for me. I enjoy I like, punishment from like a like an admiration. Yeah, like I appreciate it, but I was wrapped up in this book in a way that I wasn't with Crime and Punishment, just probably because it's just a different time and the, oh, how old it is. And yeah. um, can, can I go back because there's a quote yeah, that yeah, I've sorry. got listed in the lines. So with the like you were talking about the trampling of the woman underfoot, um, and then yes. she's from the mob of prisoners who are now given like their freedom. And there's this, like, it's so good. This is the end quote of that chapter. It says, in the end, there's no sort of difference between dying from ignorance and dying under the feet of thousands of men who have regained their freedom. You close your eyes and then there's nothing anymore. And death is never difficult. It requires neither a hero nor a slave. It eats Mm. what it's served. Yeah, I love that line. Oh, so good. It is good, good. eh? It eats what it's served is so good. Yes. Yeah. And this is there were so many like just these I don't know they're like nugget passages. Yeah, you just sit there and just going, how does this guy have the kind of philosophical profundity that he does and put it into such an engaging like narrative? This, this is not, when we're talking about the silence, right? This so this passage I, I just I love, right? Um, and he's talking about the Andera, and he says, "I have already noted that he spoke but little, very little. Sometimes when I looked at him, the image of a saint crossed my mind. Saintliness is very odd." When people encounter it, they often take it for something else, something completely unlike it, indifference, mockery, scheming, coldness, insolence, perhaps even contempt. But they are mistaken, and that makes them furious. They commit a grievous crime. This is no doubt the reason that most saints end up martyrs. We're so good. Yeah. Gosh, so, I've, got, I've got another scene here too. Um and this was one that really struck me. I don't even know why, really. I mean, it's and again, we really are making this book sound. We're <laughs> choosing all the happy bits. The happy, the happy scene of the drowning of the horse and the donkey. Oh man! So the oh, Andra owns. He loves his donkey and his horse, and he cares for them, and he loves them, and it's just like he's. Yeah, he goes every morning to feed them and and and, and, and groom them. them. And- yeah, and he loves them, and then. The town as they're sort of gearing up to suspect him and you know murder him eventually which you know but what they do is they take his horse and his donkey and they lead them out to a river and then they lash their feet together and then they push these giant beasts into the river and drown them and so then Brodek comes along to the Andorra as he's mourning them and just like crying and wailing and just really upset but the way he describes, it just really struck me the way he described what they looked like under the water. Yeah. And he said, uh, because of un- some unknown phenomenon, the donkey's coat was decorated with thousands of minuscule air bubbles as polished and shiny as pearls. And the horse's full flowing mane mingled with the algae, which in that place grew in thick scarves. Yeah, crazy, right? Well, well like... <laughs> When I'm thinking like, this whole jealous and inspired thing at the same time, like when I think about my own writing, like I feel like I could come up maybe with the scene of the drowning of the horse and the donkey, but then to paint it that way, 
Yes. Like yes. I don't think I would have that. I don't think that that. I think that's a skill born of. Like it's like Cordell's kind of like almost from a, a different era of writer. Like he, yeah. he has that. Like he, he writes like a kind of eighteenth, nineteenth century. Mm. Uh, uh, kind of one of the, the, that sort of really uh, literary but meaningful and engaging and accessible and just like with but just like the imagery is just stunning yeah um, and the, the just yeah the turns of phrase in, uh, just like the, there was just so many that 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 that, that blow me away um, do you think and, do you think if we can narrow it down you can choose a favorite scene like what is the one that really got you could we come to a decision about which is the best scene in the book Oh, completely arbitrary. I know, but yeah. <laughs> um, for me, it would be out of two. I reckon. Yeah. One of them is actually the old man scene. For yeah, me, right. I, just, I just find that so moving. Right. Yeah. Like, and it happens early in the book. Um, and the other one has to be when he does the exhibition. The, 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 when when really the whole scene when the whole when, yeah when the whole town yeah. descends on 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 the pub and and. You know, he he does he gives this little kind of nothing speech and then rev- like nods to Schloss, the innkeeper, um, who pulls off the 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 covers of all the paintings and then they all kind of look. But I also love that their reaction is one of initial shock and then they're like, "Nah, screw this. We, we we're here to eat and to drink because yeah. because the Andra has paid for like a you know a full you know get drunk and eat as much as you can uh, experience." And it's only when the when the the tab runs out. That the rage begins. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's so well done. Like the, you know, it, it kind of says this this amazing thing about people's ability to be distracted from their from their from their rage by like petty bodily nothings. Yeah. But then you know when they get the chance to rethink about, it, they're even worse. That's so funny too because it's so human. Like it's just so yes. authentically what actual human beings would do. Where you're like, oh yeah, like it. Woo. Okay, back to drinking. But then you really think about it for a bit. Yeah, it's pretty clever. Um, I think for me, the scene where we find out about the the woman and the baby in the carriage, I think was probably uh, a yeah. scene for me. Like it was like a bit well, it completely like, recasts your view of 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 Brodick himself and that's it, yeah. everything that's happened. Yeah, but you finally of, understand it. Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's yeah, it's the reveal of what's motivated a lot of what he said, and that's why I really. Yeah. Um, I have a couple more lines to consider too, if we want to add in a few more. To oh, can I, I've got one. I've got yeah, one here. Yeah, Ready? Okay. Yeah. So this one. Um, so this is when he's in the seat, when we, the, 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 the priest is talking to, to, to Brodick. He said, it could not have ended any other way, Brodick. That man was like a mirror, you see. He did, not have a sing- he did not have to say a single word. Each of them saw their reflection in him. Or maybe he was God's last messenger before he closes up shop and throws away the keys. And this is why the sewer thing. I am the sewer, but that fellow was the mirror. And mirrors, Brodick, mirrors can only be smashed. <laughs> oh, gosh, he's good. Oh, like, uh, there's a couple I have here that are just like throwaways. Like, he's just throwing these pearls out without any thought. Like, there's this one where he was thinking about his situation in the town. And he goes, to be innocent in the midst of the guilty was, after all, the same as being guilty in the midst of the innocent. Yeah. That's so brilliant. Like, like, I feel like if I wrote that, I would just retire for the day and I'd be like, I'm done. That's yeah, the good day's day. work. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that gives me that would give me a month off. 
That's why it takes me eight years to write a book. Um, <laughs> Lots of days off because it's so good. Uh, the one where, he, where he's kind of thinking about what happens when after the whole pub scene. And he says, um, I like to think that the Andra stood at his upstairs window and contemplated the scene. I imagine his little smile, the heavens were vindicating him and everything that he saw down below, creatures soaked to the skin, vomiting and trading insults, their laughter and their slurred words interspersed with, the, with their streams of piss could but make his demolished portraits seem even truer to life. It was in a way something of a triumph for him, the consecration of a master of the game. But down here, it is better It is better never to be right. That is one thing you always end up paying dearly for. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. I, I had one more. Um, this was actually, I thought, was really interesting, but it was about specifically his faith. And it was when he was talking oh. to the priest, um, which the priest's name is Piper, like Piper? Piper? Uh, yeah, Piper, Piper. Something I'll say like that, Piper because yeah. Piper sounds strange. Um, but it goes, why did I, like thousands of others, have to carry a cross I hadn't chosen, a cross which was not made for my shoulders and which didn't concern me? Who decided to come rummaging around in my obscure existence, invade my grey anonymity, my meagre tranquility, and bowl me like a little ball in a great game of Skittles? God? Well, in that case, if he exists, if he really exists, let him hide his face. Let him put his two hands on his head and let him bow down. It may be, as Piper used to teach us, that many men are unworthy of him. But now that I know that he too is unworthy of most of us and that if the creature is capable of producing horror, it's solely because his creator has slipped him the recipe for it. Oh, yeah. That's, oh. <laughs> There's actually a lot of interesting stuff about religion in the book as well. Yeah, like it's, really. I think it's, a, it's just, oh. yeah, it's just one of those books that, uh, oh, this is a book that I, 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 I'm surprised it took me whatever, you know, 15, 14 years, I can't add 12 years to return to. Um, did I tell you I'm only 27? Um, and, oh, really? Uh, wow, you're a yeah, young man reading. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, it's what I think I need to go back. But you know what's interesting? Like, I'll go back sooner next time. But I have to say, he actually, his new book just came out. Really? Um, it, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, it came out, it came out in... Uh, in in November in England, but it was just released in Australia in March, like this month. It's called Dog what? Island, and it is phenomenal. Right, so he's had he's had quite a few books between. So he had Great Souls came first, then Brodeck, then he had a book called Monsieur Lin and His Child, which is interesting, and then a book called The Investigation, which was kind of a Kafkaesque thing that I, I don't think really worked, um, and then another another couple of books. Anyway, and, and so he's sort of since Brodeck, he's never really. I've never loved anything until this one, this Dog Island book, which is about a. Um, it's set on this 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 island where the body of the bodies of a, a, a couple of rec- of of asylum seekers essentially wash up on the shore, and the the village um, throw their bodies in the volcano because they don't want to be they don't want to be um, made accomplice to the to to whatever's whatever's going on. Right, and it's just it's so good. It's another of these like morally. Difficult, complex, but 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 it's brilliant. It's also it's quite a lot shorter as well. It's uh, it's quite a short book, but it's uh, it's yeah, just up my alley. Yeah, it was actually my my equal favorite book of last year. So it wow. just like it blew me away, blew oh, me away. Um, um, just to just to finish, just on one more question about it. Um, I guess I've got a question for you too with your own writing, but the idea of I don't know how to phrase this properly. The idea of using a type of 
historic trauma as or not i wouldn't say entertainment though books mm. can be which is maybe where some of the lines yeah. are too difficult but yeah like, he's used obviously the death and and awful you know on and on to millions of people millions upon millions of people and he's used that mm-hmm. to tell a narrative and obviously there's been lots of fiction written about the holocaust and there's been lots yeah. of fiction um in films but like, yeah. where do you stand on like the idea of not necessarily, maybe, maybe to phrase it poorly on purpose, just to make the question more interesting, but like yeah. <laughs> using, using trauma to, to entertain and to sell books, like is, where do you sit ethically with that? Because I just think it's interesting. I'm sure you have a good answer. Well, it's, uh, it is interesting because like there, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of debate on, on the ethics of fiction about the Holocaust. And it's something that, I, that I, as I said earlier, I have actually, I actually wrote a manifesto called The Future of Holocaust Fiction, which was published by the Jewish Book Council in America. And um, wow, I, yeah, and I basically talked about this question of what, what is the, what is the fiction writers, the novelists, <laughs> let me use the technical term. Uh, what is the, the novelists uh, uh, um, response? responsibility or, or ethical obligation in That's writing a, a Holocaust yeah, a book, crazy. right? Because I, I think there, there are a lot of books that are set in the, use the Holocaust as a setting, I suppose, to tell like frivolous tales or, or you know, and, and, and sort of diminish or, or, or other, or sanitize or, or even um, get the history wrong. Um, I was thinking about Indiana Jones. Like, I I love Indiana Jones, but like, there's that whole same. scene book burning, and then he gets Hitler to sign. Remember that? He's like Hitler signs. It's been a while. It's been a while. Oh, oh I I watch that like every week. It's one of my favorite. Um, but <laughs> he he runs into Hitler and he's scared, and then Hitler grabs his book and signs oh. <laughs> book, and it's like a punchline to a joke. But I was thinking, like, is that? But I think this is the thing. I think you can be self-consciously absurd, right? Yeah. Um, I, think, yeah. I think it's important. What the other thing is, it's important to be, um, uh, I suppose, honest with yourself and the reader um, in terms of what you're you're trying to do. And so, you know, there's a lot of scope for creativity, for imagination. You could, you know, you could you can have robots from from Venus coming and landing you know, in the camps, as long as you don't get the camps wrong. Right? So the thing is you have an ethical obligation to get the history right, the particulars right, not to in any way kind of um, sanitise, minimise um, uh, or trivialise yeah. what happened um, and get getting getting facts wrong or, or intentionally distorting facts to fit a narrative um, is, is, is incredibly problematic. Hmm. Um, which, but but that said, I don't know, like you know. At, at the end of the day, part of a novel's purpose is to entertain. That's that, that is, you can't escape that. So it's yeah. not, you know, there are books that, that solely exist to entertain. But even those that don't, there is a an element of of, of entertainment to the novel. Yeah, you um, want to you be might, reading it to yeah you yeah you have to read a book yeah. to be readable yeah. Exactly right. So um, even if that, even if it's only you know readable to a, a small number of people who happen to be your target reader audience, um, but but I I think that as long as you are um, I don't know ethically minded, I suppose in writing 
Holocaust fiction, whether you do it in, in the form of a fable like Brodeck or whether you are more overt, uh, like, I mean, for me, my, my, I think the best Holocaust novel written in the last 20 years is um, a book called Trieste by Dasha Drindich, which is just like incredible. Um, it does some really interesting things. It's very experimental. Um, but there are other ones that I, you know, there's a great book um, called like the, the Dance of Genghis Khan, which is about a, this, this clown that goes into a, a concentration camp and um, he's executed. And just as he's being executed by firing squad, he turns around and, and flashes his ass at the firing squad. And um, then the guy who shoots him like, after the war becomes a, a detective in a small a small town in Germany where the, a series of murders start happening and the ghost of Genghis Khan comes to haunt him. And it's just, it's bonkers. It's hilarious. Right. But it, it actually gets all the Holocaust parts right. Yeah, and okay. I think that's, you know, and, and, you know, but compare that with some of the kind of more frivolous books that just, you know, um, that, that suggest impossibilities. So the boy in the striped pajamas, is the classic, right. So that's a book that, 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 um, you know, it says, Oh, it's meant to be, uh, a, a work of fiction and imagination that, you know, to give, uh, like, I mean, it's a kid's book, uh, you know, a young adult book, yeah. um, but to, 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 to kind of be instructive in a kind of lesson sense. But the problem is, is that people who read that go, oh, so a, a kid from the, uh, from, from, from within the camps who probably would have actually been killed before they even got to that point um, is able to become best friends with the camp commandant. So, like that's just, yeah. it's just rubbish. And it gives this kind of, sanitized idea and like you know there are there are other books um and in my in the um in my manifest my, my manifesto piece I, I speak about um the tattooist of auschwitz is, is another kind of classic right, one which yeah. completely that it that is was very it's you know it's the only book that um the the auschwitz memorial has come out against like it's never come out against a novel before until until the tattooist of auschwitz and the you know and the and, 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 yeah, and the the the, the Auschwitz uh, Memorial came and said, "Yeah, this book um, trivializes uh, what Auschwitz was. It, it gets it wrong. It's historically inaccurate, um, and it and it, but it posits itself as factual, right? So it's incredible. That, that, that sort of thing is incredibly problematic. Problem then is it like that's like when a book like purports to be factual or rooted in a type of realistic history, but instead." distorts history that's the main yes. problem yes and it's particularly problematic when a book uh you know gets uh, i don't know what you would call it um popular currency uh and it gets traction because right. the, the the concern is that that then becomes it feeds a new narrative which may become the dominant narrative if people believe oh so if that's their only encounter with that historical trauma sure. um they may believe that that's what it actually was like and so you're 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 three steps away from going, oh, so, you know, these concentration camps weren't that bad, I suppose. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's that's hugely problematic. So yeah, I don't think I don't think Brodeck does anything of that sort. Um, I, mean, I think, it, I, in fact, it's, it's, it's incredibly horrific in, in, in the, oh, this will sound wrong, but in the right ways. Yeah, so, no, I understand that, like, you're supposed, uh, to, you're uh, supposed to feel bad about the things that happen. As, yeah. And if yes. you don't feel bad, then they've done, that's not a good job, really, right? But I, I, look, I think I remember I actually so the 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 author of of Trieste was a woman called um, Dasha Drindich, who sort of became my mentor and she um, she died a few years ago and I but I remember chatting to her at one point the first time I actually ever interviewed her and I said to her what what why would you do the Holocaust when you're she was a Croatian writer not Jewish uh, why when you have your own 
historical trauma much much more recent would you do the holocaust and she said um well the holocaust is like it's the universal avatar like yeah it's the you know it's it's it, it is the it is the central universal space for exploring those questions Wow, it's so it was very it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, dude. I don't know how long we've talked for. It feels like a while. Man, that was fun though. Like, I'm so glad that Yeah, it was great. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun to do this to talk to other authors about the books they love and like and how it's yeah, totally affected you. I feel like I, I like the I like that your giddy peak has chosen like the, the, the most like off-putting sounding book. Uh <laughs> but uh but the, the weird thing is like I, <laughs> yeah, tune in next week for the even more like dark and s- twisted. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, this is the this is the thing. Like I, 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 you know, I, as you've said a number of times, it's actually an incredibly, um, I don't know what the word, like. It's like it's like soul edifying, I suppose. Like you know, yeah. it, it's I don't want to say uplifting because uplifting is the wrong word, but it's in right. in the sense that it that it really kind of it steals your kind of moral clarity double e not ea yeah. <laughs> you know it's in the, like it, it, makes you, it, it gives you a it makes you look at your kids again it makes you consider things and i think yeah very few reasons or excuses or times made a very busy modern lives where we get the excuse to consider yeah who we are and what we're doing and who we love and if a, and isn't it incredible though that like a book can do that? Like that you sit there and you go, this this actually is. makes me like question who I am, like or you know, or what you know, what I am, what I stand yeah. for, what I what I would do. Like books, you know, it's this is one of maybe five books that I've ever read that has made me do that. And I read a lot of books, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's yeah, and and like you're you just as an author, you just aspire to nudge at that <laughs> that place a little well that's the thing i mean you know we're trying to 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 chip away our little bit at understanding the the human condition about what it actually means to be yeah um and and you know i would say most of the time we fail <laughs> because yep. you know we just you know we try yeah you know, we step up to the we step up to the plate that's the human we thing swing. about it we swing we miss yeah we miss. that's that's being a human i think yeah uh right. but to actually to have to have nailed it is incredible yeah yeah, I appreciate it, man. I'm so grateful that you picked the book. And um, it was kind of, it was really fun to take like a deep studied tour on it. Like I really- Yeah, it was the actually. the excuse to do this. I don't think I've ever had the chance to talk about this book with anyone either. So like I'm, I'm super, super glad I did because there's just so much in it that just, just sits with me and that I just feel I need to talk about. Yeah. Um, arguably ad nauseum, but you know. <laughs> no, 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 this is the point. I feel like, look, what I'd like to do is issue a challenge for anyone listening to the podcast. You know what I'd love? I'd love to see people reading this book, talking about this book with us. Um, You can tweet at Bram or myself. I don't know how the heck social media works. (laughs) Provide a link somewhere, but um, find us on Twitter or something. But talk to us about reading Brodick. We'd love to hear your thoughts and, you know. Totally. And wonder if it strikes everyone else as much as it has us. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'd actually love someone who who has a completely different, not as in they don't like it, as in like it's a completely different experience of reading it. Yeah, it would be interesting. It would be really cool. All right, well, thanks, dude. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank for you. A burger and and getting into the. the well, th- thanks for giving me thanks for giving me an excuse to actually have a burger when I'm 
pretending to like be a bit healthier and you know yeah, yeah. lose a bit of weight and all that and i said to my partner she's like what do you mean you're having a burger i'm like well you know like she goes you've told me you're not having you, you know you, you've made a promise to yourself and i'm like okay like, yeah, but you know i've also made a promise to ben so. yeah well like, it's important um, i appreciate that, that she's like the angel on my shoulder you are the you're the devil, man. Oh, you are you are you're the, you're the you know where the Andrew doesn't uh, give his name and the, the villagers decide that he's the devil because he doesn't have an identity. That's me, yeah. but you know, but I you know, but but I I, I hugely appreciate it. <laughs> you like? I'm, go- <laughs> I'm good with a bit of damnation. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. Um, yeah, appreciate it, dude. And I guess I'll chat to you soon. Awesome. Thanks a lot. <laughs>